The following for the city sermon is from our sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising entitled Feast for Failures from the book of Luke. We hope you enjoy it. All right. Hey, so we're going to continue in Luke. We have a cheery text for Christmas today, right? Um, and, and listen, if, you're, if you think about it, it's really, it's the second advent. That's what we're looking at today. We've been going through the gospel of Luke uh, for some time now, since September of, of last year, right? And, and we're moving right along. And it's really just a, a the progression of, of the gospel of Luke is it's all leading up to the cross. But along the way, many times Jesus will drop these little hints of what is to come even beyond that moment, right? And so that's where we pick it up today. Uh, Luke 17, 20a. I do. Oh, you already got the counter. Good. Thank you. Um, all right. Let's look at the first part of chapter 17, verse 20. It says, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. You've got to hand it to Pharisees. Um, they, they actually brought up good questions. <laughs> they really did. They actually helped clarify a lot of things. However, I've got to tell you, questions often are very revealing. They really are. If you'll pay attention, you can learn a lot. Like, for instance, if someone says to you, did you brush your teeth today? Well, they're revealing to you that something has gone wrong because it did not work, right? Um, or do you think I talk too much, right? So someone's a little insecure that they might be a little talkative, right? Questions reveal a lot. As a matter of fact, I had the joy of going out with a, a young man this, this week who's a, a high school, uh, 11th grade. He had tons of great questions. He even invited me to go out to dinner so he could ask them. And I had a great time with this guy. And he was asking really, really good questions, which shows me he's, he's thinking, he wanted to talk about life, but he actually wanted to talk about real life. He wanted to talk about life with God. And many of his questions were revealing a heart that's eager to learn, right? Well, I think if you pay attention, you can learn where people are coming from uh, many times in the things that they say. And what, what's re being revealed here is the Pharisees are revealing really a lack of understanding of what Christ has come to do in that moment, right? Um, they, they really lack understanding of who he really is and the purpose of his being there in that moment. When they ask this question, when is the kingdom of God coming? What are they saying? I mean, first off, I think we have to define, how would you define the kingdom of God? Because if you ask a lot of different people, you'll get variations of answers to that question. And, and what it shows, a lot of times people don't actually understand what the New Testament means when it says the kingdom of God. Um, but the Gospel of Luke has been rich with this phrase, the kingdom of God. It might be said a little differently along the way, but it's communicating the same thing. As a matter of fact, over 30 times we hear this phrase just in the Gospel of Luke, the kingdom of God. So what is it? Here's a basic, baseline, fundamental answer to that question. It's God's people in God's place under God's rule, right? So, so I think that's, that's a baseline answer. We could add more to it, but for today, that's all we're going to do. So Jesus, in, in one sense, the kingdom of God is already broken in, right? We've seen this. We've heard this throughout the Gospel of Luke many times. It came through the ministry of Christ. Why? Well, because the king is here. Right? They're asking, when's the kingdom coming? What they're really asking in that question, in that moment, is when will you eliminate Israel's enemies? When, when will you do away with Rome? They're, they're thinking of the benefits of the kingdom coming and like King David, the good old days, let's make Israel great again. When is that coming? 
right? Because we see you doing these different things. We believe you have some power, but, but when's that day coming? Because we're tired of being oppressed. Now, I'm pushing a little bit into that, but I think that's the heart of their question. The reason I say that is because of everything that Jesus would say after that moment. See, they were expecting the kingdom, and they should be, but, but their, their understanding of that was, was very limited. Jesus had a much greater understanding of the kingdom, and, and so they missed it. So notice, Jesus' answer to the Pharisee, listen, you're looking for potential signs, right, of the kingdom, so that it would show that it's clearly come, but only in a physical world. And that's not where he's going. Look what he says. Look at verse 20, the second half, and 21. And he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, listen, he says, The kingdom of God is in the midst of you. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm here. The king is here. The kingdom has broke in to this moment at this time. But remember, the, the Pharisees, for the most part, have rejected Christ at this moment. He says, you search the scriptures because you think within them that, that you're going to understand. But I'm telling you, the scriptures reveal me, and you can't see me, and you are not coming to me so that you might have life with the king. Why? Well, because once again, over and over, we see they want the benefits of the kingdom, but they're not necessarily interested in the king, and they're not interested in the kingdom that he's bringing. So the first advent, right, Christmas, well, the, the thing we'll be celebrating or reflecting back on here very shortly, actually came in relatively obscurity. Uh, it really did. A few shepherds, right? A, a family. Uh, it was a blip on the radar for the most part. It did not come in a great big moment. But don't be fooled, the king is here, and therefore if the king is here, the kingdom is here. So we could summarize Jesus' response to them, is the kingdom of God is, essentially it's both. It's already, and it's not yet. Right? We see this throughout the scriptures. And if you don't have an understanding of that, you're going to get very confused when you think about the kingdom. Uh, I hear people say all the time, we're going we're to usher in the kingdom. I got bad news for you. Ta-da! It's here. It's been here 2,000 some years. Um, we think we're going to grow the kingdom. Well, if you mean people coming out of darkness into light and having life with God, if that's what you mean by people, well then, okay, I can get down with that. But God's rule and reign is here through God's people. But I think we could all agree it's not here in full. And if it is, I'd like a refund. <laughs> I'd like a refund, right? Because because suffering is still reigning in so many ways. Sin still dominates so many different things. But Christ has brought the kingdom when he first came. In what way? Well, when he healed people, right? The kingdom was breaking in in those moments, right? When he celebrated at parties uh, with, with many different people, everyone and anyone who would sit down and break bread with the king. Now, that might not impress you, but try to get a dinner date with someone in the executive office, right, in the government. You're like, no thanks, me too. But a king, a king, and he just breaks bread, and he enjoys them. When he feeds thousands of people with, with a few fish and a few loaves, when, when he offered forgiveness freely to people, Right? You remember, I mean, just think about the Gospel of Luke. All throughout the Gospel of Luke, 
He's doing what the king would do, and he had authority to do it. Why? Well, because he is the king. And yet, the Pharisees, they can't see it. They can't see it. And that's really the first part when we look at this. But in reality, in flesh and blood, Jesus is the king, therefore the kingdom's there. Remember back in Luke 11, right? Jesus said sharply to those who were accusing him of being on team Satan, right? Do you remember this? They were saying, you're doing that by the power of Satan. And Jesus actually said, listen, if, if I do this and I'm on team Satan, then Satan's tearing down himself. He's tearing down his own kingdom. But he says, if by God's power, then if I'm doing this by God's power, then the, the kingdom of God has come upon you has come upon, right? Past tense, meaning it's here. And they they won't recognize it. They won't recognize that the kingdom has come in Christ because it's not the kingdom they want. They want Jesus to to overthrow Rome. They want Jesus to, to do the things that they would expect a king would do, but Jesus won't be put in their little box. So we can learn a lot about the Pharisees here. And then we're going to move on in just a moment. But here's, here's the main thing I think we can learn from them. It's very possible to be concerned with the timing of the kingdom. Let's put this in our day and age. With the return of Christ. So much so that you actually miss adoring the king. Don't, don't think you're slicker than the Pharisees. Don't, don't think that, that, well, that could happen to them. It's not going to happen to me. You could be so fixated on the when and the how and the this and the that that you actually don't really get excited about the king you just get excited about the benefits of what would happen if he were to return today um, be careful doing that we, ha- we had a particular guy who um, I don't think anyone knows the story so it wouldn't matter comes in and he wants to know what I believe me personally as the pastor is preaching primarily what I believe about all the details of how Jesus is going to return well we did not line up right I'm pretty simplistic right I believe Jesus is going to return when he does he will raise the living and the dead he will judge those who are not in Christ to everlasting hell in eternity right but those who are in Christ those who are in Christ to everlasting joy and life. And he will actually remake and renew the heavens and the earth. And sin will be eradicated. We'll have glorified bodies. We'll worship him with one another on a new earth when heaven comes down. And it's going to be stunningly awesome. When? I don't know. But it's going to happen. That, that's it. Well, I want more details. Well, you're not going to get a lot from me. Because I don't think we get a lot from the scriptures. And I want to be anchored to the scriptures right? But this man, that wasn't good enough. I said, well, that's okay. I'm sure there's wonderful churches out here that you can find that will fit in your box. But Jesus won't. Jesus won't. And so we should never try to do that. Alistair Begg is so helpful in many ways, uh, but he says one thing, and I think, man, if we could think about this, it would be very helpful in our discipleship. He says, the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. Meaning, major on what has absolutely been revealed. And then be very kind and open-handed and open-hearted to the things that are yet to be revealed. Right? That's his, that's his heart. So let that be true for us. Let us be teachable. But Jesus wants to make sure his disciples are ready. And that they don't get caught up in secondary issues. So he continues. But notice, he switches the audience. He switches the audience. So look with me in verse 22 through 25. And he said to the disciples, once again, notice the audience change. 
because the topic in, in the, where he's taking it is going to change. He says, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. He's meaning the kingdom in full, okay? And, and you, will, you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Listen, he says, do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But then he says this, but, but first, he, meaning the, the king, meaning him, must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Jesus gives them a, a sober warning, right? He, he says, people, you're, listen, you're going to long to see the day when the kingdom comes in full. Why? Well, because sin wrecks havoc. Suffering abounds. The disciples, the apostles, when you go from here, persecution is going to ramp up. You're going to long for the day that when Messiah returns, when I come again, when I make all things new. But, but he's, he's saying that makes you vulnerable. He says, but don't listen to people when they say, look, here it is. And look, there is. He says, don't believe them. Don't follow them. Why? Think about how tempting that would be. They, they don't have social media. Imagine if, if people just kept running up to them and saying, Jesus has returned. We, we had seen him and, you know, you got to come with me. He's saying, don't, don't believe him. When, when I return, you'll know. He wants them to be alert to this. So, so if that's true for them, then here's a warning to us. If, if, if he says, don't follow them, then maybe we should not click, subscribe, listen, or send a seed of faith, brother, to somebody who has a chart that says exactly when Jesus is coming back. I don't know. Call me crazy. I think that's just simple wisdom. Um, if someone says that to you, they, they do not know. They, they, they do not know. I don't care how many followers they have online. End time preachers, when I, when I say that, I mean that's what, they, that's what they major in. They don't major in Christ. They major in when Jesus is going to return and what that looks like. And they like to talk about Israel all the time. They manipulate people. They take advantage of people, primarily people who are suffering. And they play on their fears and anxieties to get their selfish needs met. So there's your warning. Don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. Why? Because Jesus tells us right here, you will know. You will know. You won't have to guess. Pharisees can't see it, but he's saying, disciples, you can't miss it. Well, that's, well, that's helpful. <sighs> Brings me a little peace, right? If you ever grew up in a church or, or attended a church where this was like a big time thing that they would talk about, you could have like end times anxiety as soon as this conversation comes up because you think you got to get it all figured out. No, what you must know is that Jesus is the king. He's coming back. And if you're in him and he's in you, no one can separate you. Nobody can separate you. And so therefore you can have courage and confidence. Why? Because this good shepherd doesn't lose sheep. He doesn't lose sheep. He has you. It's not your great grip that will keep you connected to the shepherd. He has a hold of you. So this allows us to be eager with anticipation and excitement for the return of Christ, not biting our nails, wondering, well, but what about this? And what about that? And what about this? Next week, we're going we're to hear Jesus' instruction. He's going to say, just keep the faith, meaning keep yourself in the love of God. Oh, and by the way, throughout the Bible, he says, and I'll keep you in the love of God.
right? So, so we can be of great courage when it comes to this. When Jesus returns, no one will have to guess, which is why he gives the picture of lightning flashing across the sky, right? Um, I mean, picture it. Notice that Luke does not refer to lightning falling straight down, right? Like Satan was cast out. He was cast straight down. He says, across the sky, you will see, you will know, no one will have to guess. Jesus' second coming will be unmistakable. It will be unquestionable. And it will ultimately be undeniable. No one will wonder, yeah, but I didn't see it on CNN. Everyone will see. Everyone will know. And you will be, if you're in Him, excited. Why? Because all the pain and suffering, it's done. The King of Kings is here. The Lord of Lords is here. Let's party. Let's rejoice. Pain and suffering gone. The King has returned. And this is what He wants us to have within our hearts so that we can anticipate His return. Right? Look, at, look with me uh, at Revelation chapter 19, 11 through 16, we get, a, we get a, let's call it an illustration or a picture of what it looks like for when this day, when Jesus returns, when he rips open the sky, right? It says then, now, the apostle John is talking about a, a vision that he has had of what is to come, right? So he says, then I saw heaven open. He means the sky. And behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a fire, a flame of fire. By the way, th these are illusions, right? Don't picture like flames in his skull, right? He he's talking about refining. He can see the truth. You can't lie. He, he, he gets rid of all the dross, right? He, he's pure. And on his head are many diadems or crowns. And he has a name that is written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes sharply a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of their fury, of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Uh, does that mean Jesus has a tattoo? I don't know. Uh, it says on his thigh. Uh, it makes me wonder. But I know this, and by the way, that's not the point. That's just my silly little humor that you don't find funny, and I need to move on. No one's guessing when this happens. No one's guessing when this happens, right? I, I see all these little advertisements, stay awake because you'll see a comment or something. I stay awake, I never see it, so I never stay awake any longer, right? It's always cloudy in PA, and I never see the thing. You won't have that happen on this day and in this moment. All ears and eyes, every attention will be on Jesus returning when he rips open the sky and steps back into our world. It will be cosmic. It will be cosmic. Everyone will see this. In the Middle East, across Russia, in the frozen tundra of Siberia, Asia, China, down under Coop, wherever you're at, in Australia, right? In Africa, in the Americas, in every island, every place from the North Pole to the South Pole, and everything in between, 
everyone will see it and nobody will miss it. Therefore, you don't have to listen to some little huckster who thinks he knows. You can just trust the Word of God. You can trust Christ. You can believe Him. He's faithful and He's true. So notice verse 25. Again, though, he says, but first, but first, he must suffer in many things and be rejected by this generation. This is the work to be accomplished by Christ in that moment at that time. Before Jesus returns as the, the line of the tribe of Judah, he must first be rejected by his enemies and, and he must suffer in, in, as the Lamb of God. Well, that's, not a, that's not a pretty picture. He must be the sacrifice to, to bring in salvation to sinful humanity. And this is why he came the first time. But he will never come to take a beating again. And he's not coming to, to give a beating either. I've heard that, and that sells tickets, I guess. But he's coming to judge. Make no mistake about that. But, but for the believer, that judgment was in Christ, fallen on him. It's not for you. There is no more wrath for you. There's only delight. There's only grace. There's only forgiveness. There's only joy. There's only love forever and ever Amen. So you can be eager for his return. You do not have to fear. Now, he continues. And, and look, at, look where he goes. Look at verse 26 with me through 33. He says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on that day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let no one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house, not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. And then he says this, remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses it will keep it. Man, Jesus recalls what we call the Old Testament. He just means the scriptures. And he tells stories of Noah and Lot. By the way, side note, this is why it's going to be so important that I would just want to encourage all of you who are part of For the City to go through the Old Testament with me next year, right? We're just more on that. But the reason is because Jesus is always referring back to the Scriptures, right? And for you to really understand the New Testament, it's very helpful that you have a good understanding of what we would call the Old Testament, He's referring to Noah. Most of you have probably heard of Noah and the big, big boat, right? Uh, Lot and Lot's wife, right? So pledge to reading it, right? But, but, but don't miss why he's mentioning this. It's because God's judgment will be sudden and it will be too late when that day comes. And it's going to be a great separation. He goes on though, right? The, the day is going to be just like any other. Don't miss that. I don't think that's what most people think of when we think of Jesus returning. You're going to be giving in marriage. You're going to be getting married. You're going to be just doing the old thing. You'll be out in the field working. Whatever your job is, you'll be raising the kids. Whatever it is, it's going to be just like that. And suddenly, right now, lightning across the sky, Christ returns. Be ready. 
That's his point. Because there's going to be no opportunity to make preparations for his return when that day arrives. It's now that you make those preparations. It's now that you're ready for the return of Christ. Not then. That moment, it will be too late. Okay? And so, which is why there's got to be a certain urgency about our life. There's got to be a certain intentionality about our life. So many times I'll hear people say, yeah, well, when, when the kids are out of the house, I'll get serious about Jesus. When this happens, I'll get serious. Listen, if it ain't now, it's probably never. I hate to tell you that. But if you're not serious about Christ now, it won't happen when you retire. I mean, it could. It's just chances are slim because you don't drift your way into worshiping Christ. You drift further away. So I don't care what age you are right now. Be intentional about pursuing the Lord. Be intentional about worshiping him with one another until the day he returns. When could that be? I don't know. But you want to be ready on that day. You want to be ready on that day. You don't want to be like Lot's wife. Boy, what a terrible way to be mentioned in the Bible. Right? Remember her. Well, if you know the story, it's not a great example. I mean, it's a great example to get you to think. It's not a great example as, we'll be like her. Right? Why? Because he's saying, have a detachment from this world. Have a detachment from this world. One writer said this, and I, I thought it was so good. He said, Yahweh's or God's agents could try to get Mrs. Lot out of Sodom but couldn't get Sodom out of Mrs. Lot. She looked back. Her eyes followed her affections. Even after she knew. Don't don't look back because that's going to be really bad. Just get out, right? The angels, if you remember, if not, read your Old Testament with us. This year you'll learn. But don't miss the point. Mrs. Lot was not quite prepared to leave. She didn't want to leave. Even when she knew everything was going to be destroyed in Sodom, she did not want to go. Now, we don't know why. We don't know why she looked back. Why did she look back? Was she concerned about family and friends? I don't know. Uh, did, did, she, did she not want to give up her favorite things, her favorite belongings? I have no clue. Did, did she not want to give up the comforts? It's hard to believe that if you read the story. Uh, it was just chaos. I don't know, but I know this. If she can fall for that, oh, how many other people could just fall for the riches of this life? Don't, don't be like her. And he, remember, he's telling the disciples this. So I think a lot of times, yeah, that's a good message for those unbelievers. No, he's, he's talking to his followers. Don't, don't be like her. Keep yourself in the faith, right? right. What, whatever the reason, Jesus tells us to not be like her. Just as, as we should not allow the comforts of this world to have such a strong grip on us. And if you think, well, well they don't. Well, then praise the Lord for that. But let me tell you, stay alert because it could happen so easily. It's so easy to have a hold of the things of the world. But, but what you don't realize is slowly they begin to have a hold of you. As you start to think, well, if my 401k doesn't make it to the end, if my Roth IRAs don't continue to make the money, then my life will cease to exist. Your life is a mist. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. And if it's gone tomorrow, it doesn't matter because Christ will return. And if you had to suffer for the next 50 years, and I don't say that glib or trite, I'm just telling you that, that it's a blip on the radar when it comes to eternity. And so... Stick close to him. Stick close to God's people. And he will give you the grace that you need to endure. Why? Because he's good. 
And he's faithful. And if it was meant to be and left to me, I'd never make it. But he will keep you. He's faithful. Hear his words again. Whoever seeks to preserve his life, listen, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loves his life, right, will keep it. What's he saying? He's saying, he's saying, do not love the things of this world. Love me who is life and you get it all. It's a much better deal. It's not most often the great acts of evil that will take your eyes off Christ. I think that's a mistake many times people will make. It's just the crazy pace of life. I mean, seriously, and boy, are we in a good time to talk about that, right? It, it's because it's life just doesn't slow down, that you just start to drift away. You have to intentionally build times of margin in your life to set your eyes on Christ. I don't care if it's morning, afternoon, or evening. It's, it's whatever works best for you. Everybody used to say, it was, oh, it's got to be before the sun comes up. Well, bro, that did never, it just never worked for me. Never worked for me, Right? evening might work for you, but if you're not intentionally pursuing the Lord, then you are drifting from Him. Make no mistake about it. And so make it a time of, of, of pursuing Him intentionally. Have a plan. If you do not have a plan to worship King Jesus, you will absolutely fail to worship Him with your life. You will. I don't say that to, to, to bring about shame or anything like that. I'm just saying, Listen, the people that are in your life that you love, you intentionally pursue that relationship if it's real, if it's honest, and if it's good. Jesus cannot be any different. As a matter of fact, he must be magnified in our affections. And, and that happens as we engage him, and he gives us grace to do that. Now, so that's just a little side note. Slow down. Slow down. I don't know what that looks like for you, but, but say no to some things. Some of you need to say yes to some things. And, and I don't mean that to be rude. I'm just saying it's always no. You probably need to say yes. But some say yes to everything. And so when you say yes to everything, you're actually saying no to the things probably that you really need to say yes to. Okay? And so you've got to think about, plan what does next, what does next year look like. And forget next year. What does tomorrow look like? What does it look like tomorrow for me to pursue the Lord, to, to have him stir up my affections? Bible, right? Music. But I'm going to tell you right now, here is the steroids, one another. Pursue him together. Pursue him together. Do not try to do it on your own. Have times on your own, but pursue him with one another because you'll have others who will cheer you on in the days that you need it. And you have an opportunity to cheer them on in the days that they need it. Now, finally, we come to an interesting and challenging part of the text. Um, let's look at it uh, from 34 to 37. He says, I tell you, in that night, what's he mean? The night that he returns, there will be, listen, two in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. There will be two women grinding grain together. One will be taken, the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord? And he said to them, here's your Christmas text, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Merry Christmas. Man, 
The last part of this text, by the way, has been often used to describe what is called, you can fill in the word if anyone knows, the rapture. rapture. It's not just a good ride in Ohio. Uh, Oh, okay. Well, there you go. (laughs) Still a good ride. The pre-second coming before the actual second coming in full and final consummation. Well, let's get ready to work. Do you have your thinking caps on? And I, and I mean it. You're going to have to think. Now, hopefully you've had to think this whole time. But, but right now, it's easy to check out. you got like 15 minutes left, and it's like, man, lunch is coming. The Steelers aren't playing today, but maybe like the Browns. Sorry, Gabe. Right? And it'd be easy to check out. Please don't check out on me, because I'm going to require you that you actually look and think about the text. This teaching is often used like Jesus is some kind of Navy SEAL who's just coming to get you out before all hell breaks on on earth and gets you to safety before it gets really bad, right? Now, by the way, some of you may believe that. Welcome. We love you. We're family. I just disagree with you. And and we're okay to disagree because that's an in-house discussion. And I think the posture of our understanding has to be one of humility here. But I will say this, look at the text. Look at the text. Many people embrace this this rapture understanding. You may not even know what I'm talking about. Hang in there. It'll make sense to you in a moment. But we need to look at this with, with fresh eyes. Why? Because the whole idea of the rapture came about in the 1800s. Came about from a vision from a Scot a Scottish woman in the 1800s who believed that that's what the scriptures were teaching. Prior to that, church history almost never believed this kind of understanding that Jesus would have like a secret return and get all of his believers out before he would actually return for real this time. All right? It is this was a vision from a woman in the 1800s, but this text has often been used to talk about the rapture. And I'm like, how? Because I want you to just look with me at the text. You need to leave behind certain teachings. <laughs> that was fun. If you know the Left Behind series. Um, look, at the, look at the context. Look at the context. Who was taken in Noah's day from the flood? Answer, wicked. Who was taken from the sulfur and the fire? Flying out of heaven. Answer, wicked. Who remained? Answer, those who were faithful, right? You had Noah and you had his family. You had had Lot and Abraham. They were left behind. So you got to stay in context, right? It'd be real easy just to rip these texts out and start making them say all things that they don't say. But it's my belief that Jesus is saying, you do not want to be taken in this scenario, You want to be left behind in this scenario. Why do I say that? Well, I've already said about the flood, and I've already said about the the road tar flying from heaven. You want to remain, but, but we don't have to look that far. Just look at the text. In verse 37, he says this. The disciples ask, where, Lord? What are they asking? Where will they be taken. That's exactly, where will they be taken? And notice what they, what they just asked. Where will these people, 
who are being zapped out be taken. And he said to them, ready? Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. That's where they're going to be taken. Where, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Well, I don't think you want to go there. This does not sound like life with God to me. Why? Because there's no death there. But where they're going, there's death. You do not want to go there, Jesus is saying. This is not where you want to be. You want to remain. Why? Because he's, he's not going to death star earth. Oh, I've heard that taught, right? He's going he's to make all things new. You will dwell with God and with God's people forever in a new heaven and a new earth. Heaven comes down. Heaven is life with God, which means if you have a bucket list like I do, and I'm not going to get to see 99.9% of it, you have eternity to explore this thing, and it will not have sin and mosquitoes and snakes and tarantulas and all these different things. You can just enjoy God and one another forever. And I'm like, I want, my wife wants, she wants to go to Italy, bro. And I'm, I'm working, Jesse, like, hang in there, girl, God willing. But pasta will be so much better when there's no sin. Do you even think about heaven like that? Because that's what it will be like. You'll eat. You're going to be a physical human being, but you'll be glorified with no sin. And the things that have you now won't have you then. And you will enjoy. These folks are being taken where there is no joy. Can you see? Listen, if you are going to disagree with me on this, I'm fine with that. But disagree with me in the text. That's all I'm asking. And you might say, well, that's not a fair view because there's the rest of the Bible. Then bring me any text and we could work. But here's what I do want to say about this. You may disagree, and I'm fine with that. I really am. May we disagree kindly. That's my, that's my encouragement to you. I actually love when, when God's people open up the Scripture and, and open up their hearts and have a posture of humility and say, let, let Scripture teach. Let, let, the, let the text be the king. And, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Right? Because I'm not talking about any main doctrinal thing. I'm talking about end times understanding. If you disagree, by the way, I actually hope you're right. I'd love to get zapped out of my clothes into Never Ever Land where we all just become Peter Pan and, and just fly around and do whatever until Jesus returns for real this time. I just don't see it. And I can't be convinced of the scripture. So if you didn't need that, great. Here's the point. Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead and lead us fully resurrected into everlasting life or life everlasting. That's really good news. This is really good news, which is why we ought to be anticipating his return. We should be excited about his return. It breaks my heart when I talk to, to Christians who they're actually terrified when Jesus returns because of all the bad teaching that they've ever had. They're, they're, they're horrified of it. I've heard about monsters coming out of the sea and biting people's heads and all these different things. This is fun for Kids Sunday, by the way, right? You're going to have lots of questions to answer. But the good news is, listen, when Christ returns, just major on this, all the pain, all the suffering, it ends. 
He will wipe every tear away from your eye. Because in this text, the only thing that needed to happen before his return was what? I must go suffer, be rejected, and crucified. That's all that had to happen. So what I'm saying is Jesus could return at any moment. And when he does, it's going to be stunningly awesome. Stunningly awesome. So you can be so expectant, which is why at the end of the book of Revelation, we can say, oh, come, Lord Jesus Come, come. Does your heart long for him? I think sometimes we can make the mistake of like almost playing games with Jesus. Like we'll think about the advent. Oh, come baby Jesus. He already came. He already came. He grew up. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross as a substitute for you so that you might live with him forever. He bodily resurrected from the grave, defeating Satan's sin and death. Now he's made a way for all sinners to draw near to God through Christ, who is our Savior. And that's great news. And I'm going to tell you what's even more stunning than that is when you have him, is you have him forever. He adopts you into the family. And when he returns, he comes to set up Shaw. So we should be very excited about talking about Christ's return. But if if you're not in Christ, this is not the moment where I try to scare you. Because I don't think it works like that. I just don't think it works like that. But, But I'm telling you, the invitation is for you. Do not miss what Jesus is getting at. There is a separation. We can at least agree on that. We might not agree on everything else, but we can agree there is a separation. And being in the same bed or in the same church doesn't keep you from getting separated unless you're in Christ. That's that's the sober warning. You you could be working with people and there are going to be those who are taken into Christ forever and those who are taken into judgment forever. That is the sober warning. And so I can't tell you how many times I've experienced this in my own life with people I deeply love. They, they think that their wife's faith is going to be sufficient for them or that their husband's faith is going to be sufficient for them. The Bible knows no such thing. You must have faith in Christ. You. Christ died for you. For you. Do, you. do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you have faith in this Jesus? The one who's revealed himself through scripture so that you might have life with him. I, I pray you do. And if, if not, today's the day. Let today be the day of salvation. Let today be the day that you receive this beautiful invitation of life with Christ forever. And he will gladly receive you. He loves you. He, he willingly died to save you. Receive him. Church, we're actually going to end early. This is a Christmas miracle. <laughs> I, I could say so many other things, but I think this is the place to end it. My encouragement is this. May we not get caught up with the timing of things and miss being caught up with the beauty of Christ. May may we be caught up with his beauty. You you become what you behold. Let our church, let's encourage one another to behold his beauty, 
to long for his return. May we fan that into flame. Think on the gospel. Meditate on the good news of Jesus Christ, that by grace, through faith, in Christ, that we have been united with him forever. I mean, the reason this matters is because if that's true, and, and if you meditate on that, then, then what that means is your death was in Christ. I mean, there's no more death for you. Your, his resurrection is your resurrection. You have been resurrected to new life. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And if that is the case, and it is the case that his judgment was your judgment, then God's proclamation over Jesus at his baptism, which is this, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, is your declaration too. This is my, if you're in Christ, listen, this is my son. This is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. Believe the good news of Jesus Christ that when he returns, he is well pleased with you. Why? Because of everything he has done to save you. His judgment is our judgment, which is why we can now confidently pray, come Lord Jesus, come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the good news that, that you have received the judgment of God in the place of sinners. While we were weak, while we were ungodly rebels, hell-bent toward dis, just disobeying you, sinners, you willingly put on flesh. You willingly came and lived among us to show us what the Father was like to live a perfect life that we could never live, to, to willingly die a substitutionary death in our place so that we might have life and righteousness and forgiveness of sins and life with you forever. Oh, Lord, may we anticipate your return. May we be the most excited about your return above all else in this world. May the things of this world just lose grip on us as we hold tightly to you, knowing that you have held tightly to us. Oh God, may this time in December be a time of us slowing things down to reflect on you more. Lord, fan into flame our hearts a, a faith that, that just trusts you in a way that magnifies your grace among the people that we're with, in a way that they see our lives and that through our lives they might see your love for them. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons, find out more information about For the City, or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.